Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How was your week? My week was unbelievably good. I got to spend all weekend hanging out with people that I dearly love and see a lot less often than I, than I want to. Mm-hmm. So it was very uh, filling, filled filled my heart. Good, it's good. That's always um, always very good. Yes. Well, good. That's good to hear. And next up, fresh out of SCG Philly, we got our resident PDH PhD Liam. What's going on? Uh not much. Uh, life is as always going a mile a minute. But other than mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I'm doing pretty well. At least the the. The SCG con sort of took you away from homework and all that stuff for a while, though. <laughs> it it took me away, but uh, because it took me away, nothing <laughs> got done. And yeah, life just keeps going. The what keeps piling. Yeah, li- yeah. Turns out life does not stop when you when you, when you stop to have Tons some fun. Out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. This week we're gonna sort of continue our series like we did uh, two weeks ago, where we talked about going from pauper to PDH. We're gonna talk about EDH to PDH. But first, I think we want to bring on a fourth member of the podcast today and the, and the special guest. Alcadron, you want to take it away? We need to have an extra person talk about this. And the extra person we found is one of the most prolific, most exciting deck builders in the PDH scene. Uh, I love this man's work. Member of the RC, fantastic article writer, dear friend. Please welcome Derek to the show. Hello, Derek. Welcome. Hello. Su- super great to have you. I, you know, I, I, uh, my, my understated hello uh, betrays my excitement. I think of, of uh, how excited I am to be here with you all today. Ever I since think at this point, it's like it's like your trademark. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Your understated hello made me realize that I just missed a golden opportunity to introduce you as a professional human, of which I am one. That is correct. Um, well, you can, but you I, can do it again. I can edit it out. If I you do want to say. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I, I have uh, been jonesing to be uh, included on your podcast ever since um, way back episode like 10 or 9 where uh, my mm-hmm. name came up and uh, Alcadron described me as kind of like the unknowable void of the rules committee, the hungering <laughs> darkness that lurks in the shadows of the rules committee, um, these sorts wow. of uh, descriptors. So I am uh, very I, happy to be here. I th- those were my exact words. I'm glad that you remember that. I never, I never uh, forget a word compliment. Word. <laughs> Very yes. good memory. Uh, I like I am, that. Yeah, I at the at the time I I like missed you on Discord and I didn't like I'm not on Twitter or Facebook mm-hmm. so I had no idea whether or not you were active elsewhere and so like I I was trying very hard not to describe you as a, a yawning void where there was once a person but I was like I, I don't see him anymore I don't know what's going on yeah no, I, I, but, uh, pretty okay on Twitter but I, I, I to your credit I was not very active in either either space until recently well whatever I'm, you did Alki summoned him <laughs> we we got him back uh, <laughs> yep. and like the I, I don't know if anyone has been active on the, the TryHard server in the last couple months, but uh, Derek has been doing work 
in that server just engaging with people talking about like rc stuff talking about decks like it is oh, it's good to have them back I, that means yeah, a lot absolutely. i really appreciate uh, the kind words yeah no problem all right but before we move on to the meat and taters of the show we gotta do a little housekeeping so first up go ahead and hit our patreon if you like what we're doing you want to support the show a little bit it's just patreon.com slash the pdh pod uh, patrons there get access to show notes as well as early access to episodes and as of recently they all get a super secret link to the pdh pod discord what do you think about that dave yeah <laughs> that's what i think about it no i, I know i kind of caught you off guard there uh th- yeah after you uh after you hit the patreon you know move on over to youtube where we have some gameplay videos being updated uploaded that sort of thing some really good um game action from the streams on monday nights that sort of thing give us a sub while you're there and while you're just showering us with compliments why not give us a good rating on whatever platform you're listening to this on so whether it's uh itunes spotify amazon that sort of thing i think we just got access to amazon podcast so we're pretty new there too but it'd be nice to know uh, if we have any listeners on that platform so i will say this brad that's all we got to interrupt uh, real quick but i just want to say for the listeners i i myself am a patron I myself have given yes, the podcast absolutely. a review, and look look how far I've come. So it, you know, this could be you. <laughs> this could be one hundred percent. I I want to apologize. Uh, I was reading a different part of the show notes for a second, and only came back to it when I heard my name. Uh, yes, the answer to your question, Brad, is <laughs> I love it when people are on the Discord. I love talking to people. I love engaging with people. Uh, yes, please be a Patreon. Join our Discord. Like, talk to me about decks. Talk to me about PDH. I want yes. that for you and for, for us, comrade. All day or a day. But I think that's all we got for housekeeping. Liam, what do you got for this week in Magic? There's a few things happening, huh? Uh, so because uh, the two best hosts of this podcast live on the East Coast, I'm going to talk about one of the big event organizers on the coast, and that is SCGCon from Star City Games. So probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with SCGCon or the circuit. If you're not, you should look it up. It's it's pretty sweet. I go to a lot of them. I was there spreading the good word of uh, PDH, uh, specifically by playing uh, some of the decks in EDH pods. I was looking at the paper popper scene when I could. Uh, it looked healthy and diverse from what little I saw uh, when I was covering other people. Uh, while they were on their breaks, I was mainly on the command zone and pre-release teams this uh, past weekend. And... In other news, uh, I heard from well. And sorry to yeah. interrupt, but for people that don't know, you were you were there in the judge capacity. Yes, I was there in the judge capacity. For, for listeners that may not yep. know, yeah. Uh, and in other news, I heard uh, from another judge of a popper point one k. This is a sixty card popper event, uh, and that's right, point one k. An event being organized. It's somewhere around Philly, and it's happening in the near-ish future. I think it's happening in like January or February. I'll be on the lookout in all my usual channels, and when I see it, I'll definitely advertise it. Yeah, not be because I will be there, or not because uh, I, you know, am part of the event, but because it just sounds cool. They they were talking it up pretty well. Yeah, because we need stuff yeah. like that. And I mean, it's it's a point one k. Like, what? Who wouldn't want to attend that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing. And uh, in other magic news, Bank of America put out a heck of an article early this week. I think it was yesterday with mm-hmm. a headline that said Hasbro, quote, destroying magic by printing too many cards. Yeah. I'm not going to go into too much detail 
uh, but the big the big talking points is the commentary was mostly about the Magic Thirty Collector Edition and the Reserve List mm-hmm. is what most of it was about. But they also talked about uh, recent practices in general with stuff like secret layers and fifty thousand sets a year. I do want to note yep. that this commentary was specifically pointed at Hasbro and not Wizards of the Coast. That is because Wizards is a subsidiary of Hasbro and kind of has to listen to them. Yeah. This mm-hmm. was followed by a Bank of America uh, stock rating double downgrade from buy this to underperforming. And as such, Hasbro stock reportedly fell 69% across multiple different uh, platforms and, and reporting agencies. Sorry, that's uh, six to nine. Not six, yes, to nine. Yes. six to nine. Six to nine. Oh, six to oh nine. Uh, not sixty nine. I I definitely think that is nice. that is significant. I yeah. I'm not going to sit here and scream magic is dying because that is not the case at all. But sure, right. I definitely think the fact that a, an outside I don't even want to say company, but an outside organization did a very minuscule investigation on a, a popular product slash slash uh, game and came to the same conclusion that enfranchised players have been saying for the mm-hmm. last two years, which is, we love your game, but for the love of Slow God, down. stop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. according to the article, they talked to like LGS owners, yeah. collectors, and casual from, players. From across the country, like... I know it's I yeah. know it's not global, but it is the Bank of America. So not, it, it wasn't totally um, like just just data driven article. Like they actually got yeah. got the word from from people involved. And and but but they did reference the data and the fact that they referenced data sure. and yep. talked to people who are on you know the ground floor of this. Like it it's relevant. Like it it's you know something mm-hmm. to to know about. To be aware of. What they'll do with that information, who knows? And this is before somebody has impersonated Hasbro or Watsi. Yeah, on, on Twitter. Ex- extent, <laughs> right. right? I mean, yeah. 69% is probably closer to what like Lockheed Martin's lost in the last week or so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Don't give people ideas. Don't give people uh, ideas, Derek. I am an idea man after all. That's Professional true. human. Is an Professional idea. human and idea man. It's on my business card. That's right. That's right. <laughs> a double-sided business card. That's right. <laughs> All right. It's, a, it's an MDFC. Can... <laughs> oh, gosh. And neither are land. MD, MDBC. Neither are land. double face. So, let's like, so the business card is a textbook. That's right. All right. Well, I think we can slide on into the main topic after that. Uh, like I said earlier, a couple weeks ago, you probably listened to that episode, Liam and I talked about making the move from 60-card competitive popper to popper commander and we had a pretty good discussion there a lot of things came up we talked about specific deck types archetypes even broke it down card by card this week we're gonna do i don't want to say the opposite but we brought derek in to the show to help us talk about moving from edh to pdh you know what the similarities are the big differences in the two formats play patterns you know all that good stuff we may not break it down card for card like we did with popper just because it's such a more, I think, grandiose topic than that other one. But first of all, like we normally do with our guests, we want to get to know Derek a little better, the man behind the uh, cat geist, if you will. So, you know, just sort of a, a general, like, you know, what brought you to the magic? Why 100 card formats, PDH specifically? You know, how'd you get involved with the RC? Just sort of like 
a magic resume pedigree, yeah, if you sure. will, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's see. So I've been playing since about like 1995-ish. Uh, Chronicles was like the big first set that I got into when I was mm. a child. Um, my uncle at the time uh, dealt in sports cards and collectibles, so he got into magic. Um, and I kind of uh, latched onto it that way. And yep. as time goes on, you know, I'm just like kind of playing little kid magic as you do. My dad gets into it as well a little later down the road, like in the late 90s. Um, and he gets much more into the competitive side of things. And I kind of, again, glom on there. Uh, so right. playing a lot of magic, drafting every Friday night. Invasion, for example, was like the hallmark of my magic uh, limited career, so to speak. Just going every every Friday night and drafting Invasion, playing nice. Shape Apocalypse, those things. But yeah, I mean, really just a fixture until I went to college in, in 2005. Right after Ravnica came out, I think, and I didn't get back into it until Return to Ravnica, actually. So a big gap. Uh, Yeah. But um, when I did, it was mostly because of Commander. I had a friend at the time who was pretty—I don't want to say prolific—but he he was a well a more well-known figure in in the Magic community then. Um, And he turned me on to EDH and got into that in a huge way. Um, And from there, uh, Popper Commander. Shortly after, this is probably like 2013, 14, 15. Um, mm-hmm. that, that time frame. So you've actually you've actually made the move from EDH to exactly, EDH. yeah, yeah. I, I I've done the thing, <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah, and, and from there it's just been steadily just doing the same, doing those things over and over and over again, and it's never gotten old to its credit. Um, either one, I still play a ton of EDH. I still play a lot of PGH too. So good deal. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I just uh, I adore it. And then like around 2017 or so, I responded to a call for. Uh, participants to write about Popper Commander on Reddit from Salty River, mm-hmm. aka Kyle, as we affectionately know him in the business. Um, he founded the PDH Homebase website. Uh, at that time, it was mostly just him writing articles by himself on his on his website that I think was hosted in China. It had a .ca address. That's where he was living at the time. And uh, okay. and uh, a, a bunch of us got into it. Was that Canada? Way. Yeah, uh, I know. I was one of the initial writers for the website. Ruffigan was another. Uh, a few other guys on the rules committee actually started that way as well in terms of like their involvement with this format as it exists today. And like through writing, we kind of got into what has been referred to by by Clay of the Tryhards as the great unification, where we just kind of went around <laughs> and saw how everybody was playing Popper Commander because at that point, you know, it was just disparate kind of groups across the landscape uh, kind of playing mm-hmm. things their own right. way. All the rules were largely similar with some differences, and we, we tried really hard to, in coming with a, a unified rule set, like take what we could in, in terms of commonalities between everything and kind of craft the perfect Frankenstein's monster that, you know, would not abscond to the Arctic and, you know, leave you for dead, um, so <laughs> right. to speak, obviously. Uh, well, quote unquote. <laughs> right. So that was like 2017, 2018, and, and we've kind of just been going on since then, just trying to do the best we can, interpreting all of these new weird card types that Wizards have thrown at us. But yeah, I mean, I mean it's, been, it's been a heck of a ride. I mean, my involvement in the community has, has waxed and waned over the years, but you know, I'm sure. kind of making an effort to come back into the spotlight a little bit more, because I think the RC does need more vocal members. I don't think you know Paul and, and, and Dave can shoulder that whole burden themselves, and now Clay, <laughs> I guess, um, as well. But uh, you know, I, I think there needs to be more more people out there on the rules committee who are willing to uh in, engage in good faith with with the, a community that's willing to sure. engage in good faith back you know and, and i've been rewarded tremendously in my efforts so far which is you know to their credit yeah absolutely yeah. but when it comes to 100 card formats like 
the way that I approach magic, I'm, I'm very much like a puzzle solver. I like putting them together. Uh, and with 100, well, I guess, you know, fewer with lands, but um, with that quantity of unique cards, you really have the potential to put together some truly unique and um, expressive magic experiences. And, and the multiplayer nature of it too is, is certainly a huge factor, right? You, you're engaging with three other players simultaneously with something that um, is your creation, you know? You're, you're sharing that experience with them, and then they are certainly doing the same thing with you. It, it's it's a truly unique experience as far as playing Magic goes. So, you know, as soon as I got into Commander, I, I've kind of never looked back. Like, it's really the only thing I, I do. I mean, back in my younger years, high school and stuff, I was going to a lot of SCG events. I, I grew up on the East Coast outside of Washington, D.C. So I was going to SCG events with my dad and playing Standard at the time and casting Desolation Angels and Death Grasps and... <laughs> um nice vindicates uh, those are the big memories that i have of those cards uh, i remember mm -hmm. spirit monger came out and the card was not very good but it blew everyone's mind mine included right it still does <laughs> i love that card to death i remember spirit monger being a bomb in like so the problem with spirit monger and not to get too off topic but uh it existed in a format with sure. like exclude and repulse being two of the best cards in the format which which um, diminished its, its yeah. effectiveness <laughs> in terms of like standard at the time that's fair. yeah but yeah in a vacuum sure. I, it's 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 um sort of weird that such a card existed i yeah i, I remember people talking about it like it was one of the best creatures in magic because like we we at that point we had morphoid yeah and Mastercore, which were widely considered like among the the best creatures in magic and then sp remember spirit marker coming out and being like it is People talking about it like it was the third one to join this collection, but I I didn't play standard at the time. I I mean, as far as creatures I, I that played, attack and block, it's it's hard to top it. <laughs> yeah, at at that point, I was pretty much exclusively on the limited scene. So no, and, and Spiritmonger in limited uh, does things uh, almost unbeatable, <laughs> I, I'd reckon. But uh, but yeah, I mean, so I I've always been a huge fan of of hundred card formats like like uh, EDH PDH, and you know what really made me do the jump to to PDH was just a way to recontextualize the card pool. I'm a huge card pool junkie. I don't know how much room in my brain is taken up with uh, the knowledge of names of cards and what they do. Right. But when you change formats like this, it, it really shifts everything into a different light and it opens up an entire new world of applications for things that you never would have thought twice about. And, and coming to it from, you know, a guy who got, a, got his chops in the invasion block, there's a lot of weird, fiddly, three-color creatures, two-color spells, a lot of really strange designs that are just like, you can do a lot with these cards that you never really could do in, in, in Commander or EDH, you know? So mm -hmm. that's kind of what drew me in. Awesome. That, that's great. So it's it's specifically like the card pool options in, in Pauper at the common level. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the biggest it selling interests points. you, basically. Do you, do you often play... Do you still brew decks with those older cards, the Invasions, the Odysseys, all that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, as as I'm... You know, I've played on, on stream with you a couple of times, Brad. You know, I, I do mm -hmm. like my, my fiddly dumb-dumb um, creatures... And and a lot of those are older, uh, older creatures. Like uh, let's like for example, I'm just flipping through the brazen ups a brazen upstart deck that I have in front of me here. Goblin Chirurgeon, yeah. one red mana zero two sacrifice a goblin regenerate target <laughs> creature. I think this card is awesome. God bless fallen empires. Yeah. I know those right? sets are awesome. Benevolent Bodyguard and, and, and Goblin Chirurgeon are two cards that I put in everything that can support them. I just love them so much. But yeah, I mean, I I I. I really do uh, enjoy those older cards as well. I, I try to play with them as much as I can, but I, they have much more home in, in PDH than EDH, that's for sure. Oh yeah, for for sure. I don't think I ever see anyone talk about Commander with their <laughs> Goblin Chirurgeon deck or what have you. Spoiler alert: uh, the EDH deck that I will use to reference some points uh, going forward. I do there have a Goblin Chirurgeon and um, 
similar similar uh, deep cuts in it as well. So uh, we'll we'll certainly uh, broach that topic in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually looking forward to to learning a few things here because you know I, I've played a handful of EDH games in my life, and most of those have been with decks that were given to me just so the person giving me the deck could play a game of EDH, basically. Um, you know, one of the games was with Zada. You know, my, my buddy said, you know, well, we had this $30 EDH deck building challenge and I put together Zada and it just, it just wrecked. Like it wrecked the whole table. It was amazing. Very powerful. And I was like, oh yeah, we, we've got, we've got this commander in, in PDH too. So maybe you should try that out sometime. <laughs> yeah. that's very much like a direct translation, right? Like a lot of the things that make Zada powerful in, in EDH are things that are easy to find analogs for in, in PDH. Um, and and I think like a big thing for you as a primarily a, a, a pauper player moving to EDH mm-hmm. is is you know you want to play a deck and a game that resonates with you right like you want it to be something sure. that you feel something during if that makes sense you know you want no absolutely you want to really gel with with, with the strategy and the cards that you've got in front of you um, so sometimes you know when you're just picking up a game and your friend hands you a deck it, it may not achieve that and I think. You know, for a lot of people, that's like their first four into commander. Is it's just your friend hands you a deck and you, you play, and the social aspects of it might be attractive to you, and, and some of the you know aspects of the game itself might, might be attractive. But if you're not playing a deck where you can connect with what you're doing, it's going to leave a hole. And I think that's uh, what can drive some people away. And, and I, I I do know in PDH we get a lot of people who are disaffected commander players. So um, this is a topic that is really important to me, like finding those those gaps and how to kind of have a, a more positive holistic experience. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it because during the pre 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 show, I think uh, <laughs> Dave and I were talking like about this sort of this very topic, and I own one PDH or one EDH deck, sorry, and it's one that I, I built myself. It's an Orzov deck, of course, but I built it because of my I, I don't know my connection to Orzov, if that makes sense. Like my love for Orzov, I built it. It's a Tesa Karlov deck. I've never played it. I don't even know if it's any good, but I felt so good like having it all together as yes, one. I get that. That, you know, and I'll never take it apart. I'll never borrow cards from it. It's double sleeved. It's put in its little box and I just feel a, a little more complete having that in my collection. There's something really special about just like thumbing through a commander deck and just looking at the cards, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do that quite a bit. I'm right there with you. I actually did that today with a few PDH decks. I was updating them with with Dominaria United and Brothers War stuff. Mm-hmm. So not a whole bunch of cards made it in there, but yeah, Orfeo got some pieces nice. and uh, Guild Mage got uh, Viscopa Guild Mage got some pieces. That sort of very thing. cool. That's what it's good to hear. Yeah, he has a good time. But yeah, I've noticed that um, my interaction with the EDH format as a whole pretty much comes from my social media timelines. So whenever I begin talking to someone an EDH player about PDH specifically. And, you know, I try to sell it, tell them the positive things about it. I don't try to go too deep, you know, and and anything like that. And then they start asking about it. You know, they typically at, they typically start the conversation with, well, this is, or if I say, sorry, let me start over. If I say, you know, what decks do you like to play? They're like, Oh, I like to play this commander and this commander or this commander. Yep. It's, it's a lot different than talking to say a, 60 card popper player or another pdh player where you're like oh okay you want to play pdh you know what decks do you like to play they're like oh burn aggro <laughs> sure. control you know where edh players are like oh i like to play this one and this one and this one they don't really give you specific like 
archetypes or play patterns necessarily. Yeah. They give you like people, like legendary people that they like to build decks. Exactly. Out of. And that's one thing I struggle with approaching or bringing PDH to the table for people like that is because I don't, I have to look up the card yeah. and then I have to look up a deck and I'm like, okay, that's what the deck does. Let me get back to you in, in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. That's, that's <laughs> one of the things that's really, I, I think kind of the biggest hurdle to wrapping your head around how these two formats can, can kind of bridge a little bit is, is the card pool, right? Like, when you look at, I, I, I've said this before, um, I look at the popper card pool as primarily variations on a theme, right? You have your counter spells, you have your fight spells, you have your burn spells, you have, you know, this, that, the other. There are all these spells that mm-hmm. have very similar effects, but they just have small textural differences. Um, different counter spells that have different riders, different, uh, you know, one might draw a card, one might generate a token, you know, these sorts of things. And you have a lot of room to customize based off of that. But But those spells don't provide like a ton of overt identity to what you're doing. Right. A lot of the novel effects are going to exist at uncommon, you know, in the commander slot. So that's where people, you know, can really kind of define what they're doing. But yeah, I think what you said about about defining the strategy versus the the commander is is something that pops up a lot. And and like when you're looking to, like, take somebody's favorite commander, that pr- proves to be a much greater challenge than taking what strategy they like to do, the things they like to do in game, the uh, interactions, play patterns, etc. And breaking those down and seeing how we can recreate those from the pop card pool. Because I, th- I think that's much more doable, like cobbling together, you know, a bunch of different disparate effects to, to create, um, you know, a whole that that functions to, to their level of expectation. The one thing I, I want to interrupt yeah. here and add is that I think that you've described this phenomenon really well, where for the most part, EDH players don't describe archetypes, they describe uh, commanders yeah. when when they ask what they yeah. play and you can you can often try and find you know whatever is the closest analog in pdh if you're going to try and help them convert but like the one time i see this not happening is specifically with stacks like no one says i play when when someone is sure. like a degenerate filthy stacks player <laughs> they don't tell you their commander name they just tell they're very upfront about the fact that they're a degenerate, filthy stacks player. That's it's true. Like that a is weird, a good like, point. It's like a weird badge for them. <laughs> like it's you know it's it's like it's like veganism or CrossFit. Like yeah. they need to tell you right away that this is part of their identity. <laughs> like okay, thank I appreciate the warning. This before is before you get any further like, connected to them. Yeah. What's <laughs> what's really it's really fantastic about that is like there's a lot of things that do have really like good translatable analogs from EDH to PDH except stacks yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. the thing that you mm-hmm. can't do in pdh so like uh, I, I see this happen in the discord a lot people people will show up in the discord and be like hey i'm brand new i got in here from edh like in edh i play stacks what should i do oh. in pdh and we're like leave <laughs> like, yeah, what, yeah. What, you, what do you want from we me only have, we only have one poison belly ogre and it's poison belly ogre and that's the most like stacks it's, yeah. card you can get you know uh we've got a suture priest oh, yeah that that moonlights is a stacks piece, but yeah, like yeah. there's nothing. There's like idolon of rhetoric if you're desperate to put stacks you in know, your command I, zone. But yeah, most I wonder no if the natural kind of casual nature of pauper players, even the competitive PDH players, you know, there's still that casual nature of just of just playing commons. I wonder if that has strayed us, literally all of us, away from even thinking about designing a stacks deck, like. <laughs> maybe yeah, like, for most people, like think, yeah. maybe there is a reasonable playable stacks deck out there and none of us have bothered to put it together because we all hate the octai 
<laughs> yeah, I think for ninety percent of people, that's true. I, I do know that there's some on the, yeah, the Tryhard server that theory. um you know lament the lack of a stack stack and, and the competitive end of things. But I think like it really just requires you to kind of shift your 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 frame of reference a little bit. I know you know uh, Popper Popper uh, Ryan often describes cards like Poison Belly Ogre, for example, or Trespasser's Curse as stacks pieces, which I think. I think you can certainly interpret them as, but it's not like explicitly stacks in the way that we would understand it in the same like commander lexicon. Yeah, I think I think PDH stacks definitely looks very different from from traditional uh, taxes, and yeah. looks more like an it, exactly. I think it 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 strays away from the taxes that people are used to and looks more like a control deck, but isn't a control deck. And at some point, it just becomes a control deck, right? And like that's the thing. I see, I see folks in the tryhard server will occasionally talk about how they they've they they went so hard on lamenting the fact that there isn't really stacks in PDH that they're just like, okay, how can we redefine what the <laughs> word stacks means so that we have it? And I'm like, that's <laughs> not that's not how you works. <laughs> buddy like you can't just decide that stacks means what's like and they're like look at my stack stack it has like 30 removal spells and i'm like that's not that's control no like, what? Yeah, not at all right so that's an interesting, I, interesting there is there's an argument to be made that like the closest thing we get to stacks is the commander tags and so if you build a deck that can kill a commander over and over and over yeah. again then then you can you can yeah. stack that's them. awful but, like, i feel like at, at that point that just call awful. it a control deck like I feel like you're not fooling anyone and you're probably like damaging what the word means by trying to stretch yeah. it like that. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you, you can stretch it so far that it just breaks. And now you're like, you know, and we, we already have, we already have so many archetypes that no one in the planet can define consistently. He, like no one knows what my tempo Espa means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Right. laughs> so, so like, yeah, I, I get, I get kind of squirrely when, when folks, when folks say that this is my stack stack and i'm like is it though but like really? yeah, i mean if if that's how they're using the word stacks then like well to be fair good luck with your stack stack you know stacks but... stacks uh comes from smokestack right uh it does so yeah so when you think about stack. like what smokestack does and for those who don't know it's a four mana artifact uh during your upkeep you, you put a counter on it and um during each player's a upkeep they sacrifice counter, a, uh, a some permanent creature land artifact something like that uh for each counter on the smokestack so you know, if you think about cards like uh, Flashback Marauder, so or, a stack uh, deck Devil, is really just are... a, a sacrifice deck. Yeah, uh, it, it basically puts <laughs> the puts, uh, I mean, puts the squeeze on people's resources in a very meaningful way. I, I yeah. think when you look at cards like Flashback Marauder or Chain Devil, they are, you know, I, I think the most pure expression of a stacks piece um, that we have in the sure. format. But uh, you know, it, it's hard to reconcile calling them that when when the colloquial term stacks has such a different meaning. Yeah, and I think a lot of people confuse stacks with taxes. Yes. Yeah, like a death of taxes deck, which we don't really have that either. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of taking a life. Of I think its those own. two, those two are a lot of it, fairly interchangeable for a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I got I got really derailed. With yeah, that. no, that was a good. What, no, what were we talking about? Um, we were talking about uh, how EDH players are approached, at least on my side. Like when you start talking about PDH, they're either like, "Oh, I like to play Broomhilda," yeah, like commander versus like, strategy, okay, like, like well, <laughs> delineating yeah. what you value. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, you know, I've had conversations too where they're like, oh, okay, you know, you know, maybe I'll build a deck and get in on stream with you. You know, what do you recommend? And I'll ask, you know, the obvious question, what do you like to play? They're like, well, I play Is It. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> we still have like 12 different decks. Right, 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 right. <laughs> maybe be a little more specific. So I don't know if that's a EDH thing, like, because I've noticed that 
most ED, EDH players that I interact with on, on Twitter, at least, they tend to focus on one to three decks. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's... I'm sure a lot of it has to do with just the price of EDH and the price wait, of Magic cards wait, in general. Brad, I'm going to interrupt you. You said that yeah. most EDH players focus on three decks. Yeah. I'm going to stop you right there and say that is false. <laughs> is it? Okay. I, I was actually concerned that it was true. Like Th- That is... Every time I see a new card, they're like, oh, this is going in, in whatever, Broomhilda. And then every tweet after that is like, yep, this is Broomhilda. Broom, I'm playing Broomhilda tonight. So, okay, so cool. <laughs> every EDH player has their one to three pet decks, but it's not, that's not what they focus on. They focus on their 15 to 20 and then have another 40 that haven't been updated since Fire Design started. <laughs> this is a good point. Uh, okay. that, I think Liam's on okay. something here. EDH, EDH so players their, like, are just decks. as prolific brewers as PDH players. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, how, sure. No, how I are no you going to call that. me out like this in front of God and everybody? <laughs> because I There's can. There's no EDH by name. I can tell you that much. The, this is true. Um, there's, there's what? There's no EDH Alcadron. No, there no, is. No, no, there is. There's that. There's that one dude. <laughs> I'm gonna go find him on uh, Twitter or Facebook right now as we're talking. There's that one dude who has his magic project, which is he is actively building a commander deck for every single commander. Yikes! Oh yeah, yep, that's, yep, yep. That's and too many. That's a lot. so, <laughs> and and he's. I, my understanding is he's building them with actual cuts. He's not using proxies. So mm-hmm. they're, a lot they're of the decks, decks end up being like 40 to $60 dollar budget decks. Right. But like yeah. he's like seven or 800 in of the two to 3,000 that are required. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right? What's uh, scryfall.com? Yeah, it's really you know, cool. Is Commander the number that comes up is. Okay, so maybe just the way 1688, that. 1688, yeah. Maybe just the way that I perceived or the, the way they present their, their EDH account on social media made it oh, seem yeah. that way but i mean yeah it's usually like yeah so they just have like their spotlight decks and then they have everything i else. have my ruxa yeah. deck and i have my uh twins deck which is uh will and rowan but then i have like five other edh decks that just sit on the back burner that i update like once every other year um yeah and okay. then well that makes that ma- that does actually make and me feel my other <laughs> my, my other deck that i just built that i'm so happy about it's ecstatic awesome because most of them that you know maybe it might just be my perception also, but I know that most of them that I follow have a CEDH deck and then an EDH deck. No, that's not how it looks. You know what I'm that's saying? That's not like, how it looks. Is that not, not even... how it goes? Maybe I just maybe I just follow a lot of CEDH. Well, yeah, so, so if I, I had this, I had a very similar conversation on the Hex Drinkers uh, last week. Yes, you know, you, you, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, like even modern players, this, I think this applies to every format, just players. They have their favorite okay. format. And they have the mm-hmm. the couple of decks they really focus on, like the one or two decks they really focus on that become their magic personalities, what they become known for. But then they have other right. decks that they keep up to date. Like my one friend plays uh, mod, like he has two commander decks, but, but he plays modern heavily. And the deck that he's playing right now actively is Domain. And his other side deck mm-hmm. that you'll catch him playing very regularly is Four Color Omnath. But he also has a uh selesnia enchantress deck and a selesnia uh coco creature combo deck and he has another one that i can't remember right now uh but like like he has five decks but there's just the two that he updates you know every other week okay that makes sense yeah i i think that's all kind of like a really good read on it 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very much similarly. Like, I, I have several commander decks, maybe like three right now, that I actually play regularly, and then I've got like eight that are either half built or not, or not like played at all. They're just sitting around waiting to be taken apart, essentially. But like, <laughs> I get derailed so often when I'm like brewing for either format. Anytime a new card comes out, I just like drop everything that I'm working on and like start something different. It's mm-hmm. kind of a tragic. Sure, right. <laughs> but yeah, like when it comes to finding where you where your like sensibilities kind of fit coming from commander to to pop or commander it can be kind of daunting just because like not only are there just tons of new commanders but or commander options rather but um you know you don't know what half these comments do because they just don't come up in commander at all um right you just have never seen them before and so who 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 knows or cares right so like that's like the first thing you know that i i did when i started getting into the format was to kind of see what I would be able to do. I just sat down and just like did a, a scribe fall search, like what's legal and popper. And uh, I just looked at, not like in one sitting, but just like would thumb through like pages and pages of commons mm-hmm. and just like yeah. see what it is, you know, and, and and what cards I know and what cards are similar and, and where we can kind of build out and just kind of initially identify like where we can go. And then from there, like once I find, you know, what colors are able to accomplish the goals that I like, you move into the commander aspect of things and find something that ties everything together. Because like I said, you know, the, right. the novel effects, the, the things that are truly, you know, unique to to the format are really going to exist mostly in, in, in the command zone. Um, and granted, it's been changing over time as, as like things get downshifted and that adds additional texture to the format. But um, most of the time you're going to see that stuff in the command zone pretty much exclusively. So it's like a really good exercise to just take the time to like look at the cards. Um, if you're not familiar with them, you know, like like someone like me is, and just kind of see what you can do or, or what what speaks to you. Um, and then from there, like, mm-hmm. I kind of would want to get into these two decks to kind of illustrate things further. I have two decks in front of me. Yeah, absolutely. One of them is a, is a commander deck, and the other one is a popper commander deck. And these are two cards, these are two decks that what the, the PDH deck was, was spawned from what I love about the EDH deck. So um, I'd like to go into that if you guys are willing to indulge me a little bit. And feel free to interrupt and ask questions as I go. The floor is yours. All right. So to start, I'll introduce this commander deck. And I've, uh, to the listeners, between me and you, I have respectfully requested that these deck lists are put in some sort of a public-facing show note. So um, if you don't see these deck lists linked anywhere at popper underscore whatever Brad is on Twitter <laughs> and uh, type in all caps at him until you get what you want. Yep, just, um, just scream at me. Yep. Yeah. So this commander deck uh, is, the commanders are Ludovic, Necroalchemist, and Siddhar Kondo of Jamor. These are two partners that were printed in Commander 2016, I believe, when they introduced partners. Mm-hmm. These are not two of the most prolific partners, but they uh, they are as follows. So Ludovic, Necroalchemist, is a 1-4 human wizard for a blue, a red, and a generic mana. And his text reads, at the beginning of each, each player's end step, so everybody including yourself, that player may draw a card if a player other than me... The control of Ludovic lost life that turn. So if it's your turn, you attack one of my Derek's opponents uh, and, and they lose life, you can draw a card. Um, if you shock a land into play on your turn, you also get to draw a card because one of my Derek's opponents lost life, you. So yep. you get to draw a card. And the uh, other commander is Sarakondo Jamora, white, green, two generic for a 2 5 legendary creature human knight with flanking, uh, one of the <laughs> most poorly designed mechanics ever printed it reads whenever a creature without flanking blocks this creature the blocking creature gets minus one minus one to long a turn it's like reverse bushido kind of yeah and uh he also has the text creatures your opponent's control without flying or reach cannot block creatures with power two or less which is kind of a word salad of an ability yeah basically it means that uh 
all of my opponents, my, Derek's opponents, um, cannot block any creatures with power 2 or less unless they're being blocked by a creature with flying or reach. And that is a board-wide ability. It's not just my creatures cannot be blocked. It's everybody's creatures cannot be blocked. So, right. that being said, this is a four-color deck. It is not a value pile. It is actually very keyed into, all the, into these two commanders, and I'll explain to you why. Um, it's built around triggering Ludovic's ability first and foremost. So the idea is to always be drawing two cards a turn by dealing damage to your opponents. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do this in a couple ways. First is the deck has a very clear theme of having creatures with base power 1-1. One, one. That is how it wins the game, by attacking with base 1-1 one, one creatures. Um, some of these base 1-1 one, one creatures, Sappers and Air, is a 1-1 one, one for a blue and a generic. Merfolk, whenever it becomes blocked, I may draw three cards. So, are you going to block it? Let me draw three. Or are you going to take one damage and let me draw one card off Ludovic? Right. The choice is yours. <laughs> right. You see, you see the tension there. Another card, Joven's Ferrets for Alcadron. Beautiful. Uh, I know how much you love the ferrets. I love ferrets. It's a one-one. If you declare it as an attacker, it gains plus two plus or plus zero plus two until end of turn. And at end of combat, anything that blocked the ferrets becomes tapped and does not untap during its control's next untap phase. So it freezes a creature that blocks it. So you you're able to build in a lot of ways to disincentivize blockers. There's a lot of one-one, uh, one mana value creatures that have evasion. So there's plenty of ways to trigger uh, Ludovic. And Cedar Condo is a way just to have a little bit of redundancy to get your creatures in. What really puts the deck into overdrive is a card called Wild Pair. And this is kind of what the deck was built around and initially conceived under. Wild Pair is an enchantment for a green, green, and four generic. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield, if I cast it from my hand, I may search my library for a creature with the same total power and toughness and put it onto the battlefield. And if I do shuffle my library. So... All of the relevant creatures being base power 1-1, one, one, you can chain mm-hmm. them into one another and create some really great toolboxy lines or just win the game. Sure. Primary win condition is a card called Martin Stromgold, another Alcadron deep cut. <laughs> Super deep. Yes. This is the primary win condition of the Wild. deck. It is a 1-1 one, one for red, red, and two generic. I'll read the card, not the oracle text. Sure. Uh, if Martin Stromgold attacks, all other attacking creatures get plus star plus star until end of turn, where the star is equal to the number of other attacking creatures. Mm-hmm. If Martin blocks, all other blocking creatures get the same plus star plus star until end of turn, where star is equal to the number of blocking creatures. So he scales up your team based on how many creatures you're attacking with. Um, and this deck floods the board with a lot of 1-1s for one, a lot of 1-1s that do other things. And so you just kind of slowly accrue value with Ludovic, force through creatures with Saracondo, mm-hmm. uh, win the game with Martin Stromgold, which is, you guessed it, a base power 1-1 one, one creature that you can tutor with Wild Pair. And then, what really, uh, I had been having trouble because when you get Martin Stromgold onto the battlefield, uh, it's tough to give him haste to that same turn without telegraphing that you're going to win the game. Right. <laughs> so, so it took me a while to find this card, but it existed for a while, and it really just turned the deck on. It's called Torch Courier, I believe. It's a 1-1 one, mm-hmm. one for one goblin with haste, and you can sacrifice it to give target creature haste until end of turn. So, you, another, you know, light bulb's going off. It's also a 1-1. One, one. You can turn it up with Wild Bear. So you can cast Martin, tutor up the haste, give her, give him haste, attack, give all your creatures plus 11, plus 11, whatever you want to do, <laughs> and and laugh all the way to the bank. And there's other little little niche synergies in here, too. Um, I, w- well, the deck- I was thinking of yeah. I was thinking of Sootstoke Kindler, but that's half black, so that doesn't work. Nope, this is a non-black deck, and and the non-black. reason why I like it being non-black is because there's some also some like pretty significant graveyard recursion synergies, and I love reanimating creatures and not having black cards to do it. It feels yeah. so much better. Yeah, that is really. Um, cool. do, 
Do you, do you like the new recommission? I love it, actually. It's one of my favorite cards. Yep. That was one of the cards I updated a lot of decks with today, actually. Yeah. Uh, in fact, like one of the other kind of linchpins, so Wild Pair is like one huge part of the deck, and the other huge part is Abiding Grace. It's a Modern Horizons card. Um, Modern Horizons 2, I think. And it's a, a an enchantment for a white and two generic. At the beginning of your end step, choose one, gain a life, or return target creature card with mana value one from your graveyard to the battlefield. And that's kind of the other half of the deck. It gets all your mm-hmm. one ones for one that utility creatures, Goblin, Chirurgeon, and Benevolent Bodyguard, for example, are reasons why this card is in the deck. You can just keep returning your uh, your protection creatures. A lot of the protection and interaction is on its creatures rather than spells. Yeah. So you get a lot of value that way. So it, it, there's a couple different engines that are kind of churning and burning as you play. It's not it's not like an explosive deck. When it goes off a wild pair, it's impressive. But if it doesn't, um, you're just kind of playing a mid-rangey value game with your little dum-dums until you kind of can turn <laughs> the corner. But it, it, it does a couple of things that I really love doing in a game of Magic. First is attacking. I, I love the combat step. I think it's like the most important narrative device you have access to in a game of Magic, a multiplayer Magic specifically. Uh, that's where kind of stories get told. That's where you're staring down three opponents in the eye and saying, directly engaging with them, I am attacking you, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's tremendously valuable and tremendously important. So I love to do it in Magic. I love to attack. I love creatures. It also is able to leverage that combat step into card advantage uh, through Ludovic and, and another means as well. But Ludovic is the primary component. So not only am I doing my favorite thing to do in Magic, attack people, but I can also progress a game plan by doing it in a very meaningful way. And and like the other, the, the third thing is just finding those synergies with the base power one, one creatures, one mana value creatures, and kind of tailoring that overarching desire, you know, to achieve those things in game to to those creatures and and finding a, a suite that um you know just blends perfectly to create this weird Rube Goldberg machine of. <laughs> Attacking you with my little one ones and you not feeling incentivized to block because just one damage, and um, then I just play Martin Stromgold or tutor him out of my deck or whatever. Yeah. So that that's kind of like what that deck does. It's awesome. Ever since I built it, I've loved playing it. It came. It, funny story. It actually, the same kind of design principles were in an Asmira Holy Avenger deck that I played for a couple of years, which is a two three flying human cleric for a green white two colorless. Where uh, at the end of each turn, it gets a one one counter for each creature that you control that died that turn. So you can sacrifice all your little value creatures to make it bigger, and mm-hmm. you slowly just beat people to death with it as you sacrifice your creatures for value. It was a Selesnia kind of like aristocracy kind sure. of deck. And then I found a way to leverage it into those four-color monstrosity. Also, this deck can play <laughs> Pendlehaven. Do you know how awesome that is? And like utilize it regularly? Pendlehaven is good. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do, you have, do you have Sigil Captain? Uh, Sigil Captain is not the deck. Um, uh, the I'm not looking to... Go that route, really. Uh, put put counters on my creatures. It just kind of you fiddle around a little bit, and then you you tutor up your Martin. It is really the, the play pattern that I that I like to go to. It, it's hard to get a three three out of your deck. It, you know, you can't tutor for it with Wild Pair. Um, it doesn't generate card advantage on its own, which mm-hmm. is another big thing that I don't like about it. But um, that is a good suggestion. It's a it's more of a personal taste thing for me at this sure. point. But yeah, uh, I mean, there's so much you can do with creatures. I I just love creatures. So when I'm going to pauper commander how do i turn this thing into a pauper commander deck that like scratches that same itch right because like if you look at this deck it's it's like three or four different things that blend together to generate one cohesive experience and a lot of like weird ones too uh there's a lot of strange cards in this deck that don't have direct analogs to pauper there's some commonalities right like benevolent bodyguard for example those kinds of things you can still sacrifice your creatures for value a lot of commons um but the overarching idea of the deck is to utilize combat step generate value synergize with creatures 
through those means. So it really you know, took me I think a while. Sorry to interrupt. I think you just hit on something pretty important. Like going from 60 card popper to PDH, it's about, you know, archetypes. Like mm-hmm. I like to do this. I like to do that straight, you know, linear, whether it's control or whatever, this is what I like to do. Yeah. And it, and it's, it seems like going from EDH to PDH, you're trying to find similarities in what you, what you want the deck to do. Not necessarily yeah. archetypes, not necessarily what this commander does. It was like you said, like, I want to find this pile of cards. And it could even be in completely different colors once you change formats like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just looking for something that, that fits this mold of how you want to play a deck, basically. That, that's exactly right. And, yeah, it, it, it's really important to focus on, the, on those broad strokes. I think it's really easy to get caught up in, like, what the individual cards do and just yeah. see, like... Well, there's there's no like there's no wild pair and poppers. Like, how is this deck going to be the same thing or like scratch that same itch? And there are ways to do it if you are willing to break it down and just like start from the bottom and rebuild from the ground up. I, I think mm-hmm. you have to really focus on the big the big points first and then refine it as you as you work because it's never going to be truly apparent. Like for more complex strategies, like like for example, this commander deck that I just described, there's never going to be any analogs really to what you're trying to do directly. Oh yeah, um, you need to sure. cobble together a bunch of things and, and kind of recreate that experience through through synergies. And granted, like some of it might not be like it'll, it may not be competitive, but there are ways to make most things function. I think, and like the way that I did it in Popper uh, is with the, one of my favorite decks that I've ever played in this format is, is Mischievous Catgeist, which is kind of an innocuous creature that doesn't seem to be inherently related to what this Ludovic deck is doing, but it really does. And and the reason why is because Mischievous Catgeist is a creature that wants to attack. I'll, I'll, I'll read the card real quick here. It's a modal double face card. Oh no, actually, it's not. It is mm-hmm. a uh, Disturb card. It's a Disturb, um, yep. It's different. Uh, it's Val. a blue and a generic for a 1-1 Cat Spirit creature token, mono blue. It is not four colors like this commander <laughs> deck. <laughs> um, but whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card and it disturbs for a blue and two generic. So if it's in your graveyard, you can cast it for its Disturb cost uh, and and return it to the battlefield transformed yeah and it returns as an aura enchant creature enchanted creature has whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player draw a card so it bestows that same curiosity quote-unquote ability to your creature Um, and then you know as the disturbed text if uh, the enchant will be put into the graveyard exile it so it is doing on its face very similar things to what i want to be doing with this commander deck right it it wants to be attacking Mm -hmm. it wants to generate card advantage by doing so and there are a lot of really sweet ways that you can generate sort of these cool synergies with a different suite of creatures but a a cool suite of creatures nonetheless and and to get into that you really just have to look at the card it returns as an as an aura from your graveyard so what cards want to be enchanted for example heroic creatures are really cool. Uh, infect creatures like to be augmented in ways that increase uh, oh, yeah. their or give them other abilities and make them more relevant. Those are kind of the two things that I've I've focused on here. Um, making creatures unblockable. There's there's a really sweet, awesome type of card that I've never seen utilized anywhere. That I put all, I jam all of these effects in here. Cards like um, Wings of Velus Vel. It's a blue and a generic yeah. instant. This one is changeling, but until end of turn, target creature has base power and is 4-4, gains all creature types, and gains flying. Um, so it's like a pump spell, but in mono blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are cards that are great with cat guys. They're great with heroic creatures. They're great with infect creatures. <laughs> so there's a lot of sweet synergies you can find there. And and, and it, it does exactly what I want it to do. It, it gives me the same feeling I, I have when I attack 
with you know my Ludovic deck, it, it's accomplishing those same goals. And it does it all in mono blue rather than having four colors because you focus on what you find rewarding about the experience and you build from that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Is, yeah. is you're looking less at the color pips and at the casting costs and the power toughnesses and all the rules box and stuff. You're mm-hmm. looking more for what that that theme that you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. It, you just have to have, and, and granted, like this is insight that comes with years of playing Commander. You're never going to know this about yourself playing a handful of pickup games. Mm-hmm. You really just need a place to explore how you engage with the format. That's why it's so great having a group of friends or, or people that you meet, a, a safe play group that you can experiment with. I was very fortunate. I started playing um, at an LGS back where I used to live. I, I, my partner, I just moved to um, Central Texas. We used to live in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, outside of D.C. Mm-hmm. And um, I was playing at an LGS for a while where I, I was able to meet some great people. And once that LGS closed, unfortunately, we were still able to play together. And, and you know, there were some of my, my best friends now. But I had a great place with a great group of people where I could explore ideas and kind of come to terms with how I engage with the format mm-hmm. and put a lot of time and effort into honing it and then translating it into, into you know, better popper commander decks that I find more satisfying to play. So it does take introspection. It takes time to understand the cards. But I think it's very well worth it because the quality of experience that you'll have is so much more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's just going to be much more meaningful. Like rewarding almost? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the word it's looking for, but but pretty much, yeah, yeah that's it. So that was a, a lot. Uh, I kind of went on, on on for a while there. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to receive feedback. No, I think that's, that's a really <laughs> good approach because I, I never would have thought of that. You know, I don't look at my, granted this is completely different format, but I don't look at, say, a brew that I put together for 60 card popper and think what is the theme of this deck and you know what's its overall like arc and what is it trying to do and i want to do that in pdh you know i guess i've all just because i for for the decade or more that i've i've played magic on and off i've always just been a 60 card semi-competitive player so when i came to pdh it was like okay i I need to have a handful of decks at the ready for when i play and yada, yada yada so I need a burn deck and I need an aggro deck and I need a control deck. You know what I mean? Like it was just porting one archetype from 60 card into PDH as opposed to the style. And that's something that I'm slowly starting to learn about myself in PDH is how do I like to play the game? You know, what styles do I like? It's less becoming, yes, I'll always be an Orzov devotee, but it's less becoming about, I need to find cool Orzov cards. You know, like one one of my favorite decks, and I, I recently took it apart because it, it did just end up being terrible. But Risen Reef, I, I never played Simic in my life, but it was one of the most favorite decks of mine that I've ever played in any format ever because it literally does everything I want to do. And I never knew that about myself until I got into PDH. I, I will admit, coming to PDH from from mainly EDH, uh, you know, having I do have a sixty card background, so I, I know where Brad's coming from. But Brad's journey into PDH has been fascinating to watch, <laughs> <laughs> as he learns these things about multiplayer formats, and I'm just like, "Yep, yeah, it's <laughs> wild. It is wild." And, and it's been really rewarding, like playing with Brad, and and the couple times I've played on stream. I've had the luxury of playing with Lobbert a few times, and he's mm-hmm. a guy that um, 
like I'm familiar with his 60 card popper yep. work. Like back in the day, I, I like watched some of his videos on his old YouTube channel, that sort of yeah. thing. So I was familiar with his work before I played with him in PDH. And he, he, he just kind of gets it. Yeah. It, it's kind of hard to describe. Like you watch him play in the decks that he builds, his Flametongue Cavalry deck, for example. And it's just like he understands what he wants to get out of Game of Magic and, and he, he does it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Like I always describe his decks as value piles. Yeah. But I know that's yeah. not correct. I just don't know how else to label him. But he is, you know, as far as deck builders go, he's one of the best I know at building just piles of value. Like like I said earlier, I think I said it in the pre-show, Lobert's decks, much like your decks, Derek, they, they don't fail to do stuff. Like it's very rare that you miss land drops and it's very rare that you don't cast a spell at all during a turn. Like last night, I think it might have been game two. It was turn five, six, somewhere around there, a little bit later in the game, and you played a land, and you didn't do anything else. And and it was so shocking <laughs> that I had to take a minute, because I'm so used to you like doing so many things every turn, whether it's one powerful spell, or just cantrip here, cantrip there, swing attack, do whatever. You know, It was very rare that you did nothing, and I think that's the sign of a good deck builder, is that you're always doing stuff. Yeah, or, or if you're not doing something, there's there's a reason for there's it. There's reasons right? for it, sure. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I've just been called out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot to it. Go ahead, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Uh, the the thing that I want to add to the, the conversation about um, EDH to PDH transitions and like archetypes is that I... When when we were planning this episode, I was I was thinking like how how am I going to contribute? Like I I do have a background in EDH from a million years ago when I still read when when wizards made rares, I would read what they did. Uh, that time has long <laughs> since passed. Uh, sure, I, it's it's well behind me. But there there was a time in my life where I did that, and I have a handful of EDH decks from back then. And I was like, do, I was I was trying to think, do any of them have good PDH analogs? And um, the the deck that I was most famous for in my LGS scene, if if we're if we're doing Brad's categorization of this, this was like my pet deck, the one that I focused the most on, mm-hmm. was a Rakdos, the Lord of Riots deck, where I would um, I would use something to make my opponents lose a lot of life, and then Rakdos's ability means that all of my creatures cost that much less mana. And so I, I was, I was staring at this deck, thinking like, no, there's, there's nothing like this in PDH. There's no like, you can't, you can't do red and black things that will make your creatures free. You mm-hmm. can't get real drowsy. And then I was thinking about it more, and like the, the thing that really kind of like opened up for me in the last ten minutes, listening to Derek talk about this, is that you kind of need to move away from your preconceived notions about what the colors are. Yeah. Because thinking yeah. about, thinking about this in terms of strictly like. I'm going to I'm going to use bizarre game mechanic, mechanics to cheat in just massive honking chonkers like repeatedly. Yeah. I do have a deck that does that in PDH. It's just the opposite of Rakdos. Yeah. It's Ether Sworn Sphinx. It? I do love playing it. It's yeah. it's Ether Sworn Sphinx in Azorius colors. Yep. And this is my this is my Lord of Riots deck. It's it's a blue white deck. But it is. I'm. I'm absolutely going to cheat in Eldrazi. I'm going to. I'm going to get Ulamog's Crusher for free. Yeah. Like, kind of consistently with this deck. Like, yeah. when I when I when I shouldn't be. So like, this is this is the 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 Popper Lord of Riots. Yeah. 
is an Azorius card, which is um yeah, and that's, that's crazy. That's, that's my such a big crazy takeaway concept. Here. Like, I'm glad we actually got into that. Like, I knew there was going to be some comparisons here and there, and you know whatever the conversation ended up being. But I I, I like this route that it took. Yeah, you know, like like Dave just said, I I love this Rakdos card, but I had to go not Rakdos to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, I like think the, that's fascinating. The the other one that's blowing my mind the more I think about it is uh I also a million years ago I had a Zerlin of the Claw deck. Hell yeah, I did too. Which, I love that card. It's a crazy card. It lets you like it. It on the surface it reads like it should be a Dragon Tribal deck because Zerlin's uh-huh. ability lets you uh, tutor dragons from your deck directly into play, and then you sacrifice them at end of turn. Um, but in practice, this this turned into like a toolbox deck for me where I would use Zerlin to tutor in like instant speed, tutor in whatever dragon I needed to solve whatever the most pressing problem was for me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then like, I would, I would sort of incidentally get an attack with it maybe. And like the, I, I have a PDH deck that does this as well. And it's the five color rebel Alliance deck where I use the rebels to tutor yes. in changelings mm-hmm. as toolbox cards so that I can get ally triggers. Like these on, on the surface, these decks have nothing to do with each other. And it, I was not going to connect them without like a really deep dive thinking into like really leaving behind the, the surface level characteristics of the deck to figure out what it is. What is it about this deck that I enjoy playing yep, and what exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And like now, now that I'm thinking on this other level, I'm starting to see a lot more parallels between these bizarre EDH decks that I thought I was never going to see PDH equivalents of. I'm like, I'm thinking about it more, and I'm like, well, actually, yeah, yeah. Like two two things on on that. So the first is not technically like related to the larger point I want to make, but I do want to mention it. Um, I, I, Dave, I think we're you know kindred spirits in another respect here because I, I did play Rebels in Standard. I love Rebels to death. <laughs> and Power Stone yes. Archaeologist, what's the one that makes Power Stone for every creature you have? I want to build Mono White Rebels oh. with that thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Because you can tutor with the Power Stones, which is dope. Yes. But... I've, I've, I recently put the Power Stone... So I have, I have two Rebel decks in Pauper. Yeah. I have I have a mono white one with the Ramosian captain. Love it. And I have the five color one that does rebels and allies together. To, uh, to kind I... of harken back to the pre-show, uh, wink wink, join the Patreon. <laughs> I I do have a Ramosian sergeant uh, uh, painted artist proof. Um, it uh, uh, to death. It's one of my favorite creatures Beautiful. of all time. Ramosian sergeant. Cool. But I do want to say on the topic of like breaking away from from colors, that's exactly what I needed to do to kind of achieve this effect between this Ludovic and Arcando deck. And the mischievous catgeist, uh, because um, on Twitter I did make some mention of making a four-color like rule zero kind of deck with partners of set a disciple and thornscape apprentice, uh, two uh, invasion block uh, dum dums, one mana creatures that can tap to do certain minor uh, mm-hmm. abilities. Um, because I, I like wanted to make both. a four-color deck that that to, to try to recreate this. That was my initial foray in, into this kind of thing, um, and it it failed. Uh, in, in a number of ways it did it it was too it was trying to be too on the nose and not doing what what the ludovic de- deck was doing as well as the ludovic deck was doing so did i want to do like something not as cool but like more explicitly similar or did i want to try and achieve something more true to the spirit of what i was trying to do and that's why i i ended up in mono blue because this is what did it for me it wasn't trying to like make the exact same deck but just with 
with the worst cards, you know, because I think that's just going to be a disappointing experience no matter how you slice it. Yeah, and it's the Great Desert Prospector. That's the that's the model. Yeah, white that card's awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even yeah, thought no, about I, that. I, Using the Power Stones to to find you some rebels. That's awesome. I I just so the the Rebel Alliance deck I have is really tight on card slots because it has to run a lot of different things to make the engine work. But I I did just recently find cuts for uh, a couple of the cards that that create Power Stones and are really good besides. So like the Three damage spell and the the three mana catalog that's instant speed. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I worked really hard to find space for those guys in the deck because I I I, I see the power stones synergies and I'm like I want I want yeah. in on that. Give me waiter. I will have one of those. Yeah, power stones are sweet. I, I you know I, just gotta bring it back to Brothers War for a little bit. I think it's yeah. hopefully like us people shouting from the rooftops how powerful power stones are will, will influence people to play more of those cards but it's not particularly like earth shattering on its face to read a card that says create a power stone you can only cast artifacts and activate abilities with this artifact you know it's not a flashy thing but th- i think there so many of these cards are just so they're such like workhorse types of cards they just do a thing and they just do it very well you know i love cards like that just functional workhorse cards um it's why I have a queue of all cards from Homelands, Fallen Empires, Alliances, and Ice Age. Because oh, once that's you amazing. weed out the nonsense, a lot of them are just like very functional magic cards. Mm-hmm. And so it's just nuts and bolts magic. It's awesome. It's so much fun to play. Speaking of that, I have a very important question for you. Yeah. When are you coming to my house with this cube? <laughs> it is a it is a tuber. It is 180 cards designed for two to four players because um, there aren't enough interesting cards in those sets to make sure, a larger sure. one. Is but, it all you know, rarities? we can make I don't know, man. Let's we can make it happen. Do it. Is it all rarities or yes, much it's all everything? rarities. It's not it's not rarity restricted. Um, singleton? Yes, singleton. Nice. Beautiful. I I was on vacation with my family last year. I was able to break out a couple two person drafts with my dad, and I did win a couple games with Caribou Range, if you're familiar. Uh yeah. So ca- Caribou Range is the card that made us have to like find a way to represent tokens yeah we got we we we, <laughs> we went to the in 1995 we went to the craft store and we got one of those tubes full of little glass beads yep Very and nice. we referred to them for the next three years everyone in my local play group referred to all tokens as caribou poops that's a beautiful thing <laughs> and we did the same thing like the the, the poops. what was the next card alliances had the one the the Kildoran outpost yes mm-hmm. we exclusively referred to that as the dude ranch and it <laughs> well, made sure, caribou poops yep. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. like oddly enough like some things i noticed about playing this cube labyrinth minotaur is a heck of a card it blocks everything uh-huh, it blocks right? everything <laughs> and it freezes your attackers anaba shaman is dope a lot of the removal spells are busted fire covenant i think i may have cut from it because it was too powerful contagion the free the free removal spells pyro pyrokinesis uh, i think i took out because it was just like warping the entire experience like the black red decks were just unbeatable because they could kill everything for almost no resources but yeah no it's been a great thing to to tune and and play with and again to bring it back to this topic it's just about finding what you find valuable in a game of magic right like that's exactly why i built that cube because those are the cards that i want to play a curated limited experience with you know, I, I did have a question that just sort of popped up, and I know we've we have talked about it multiple times on the show, uh, but I sort of want to get your your perspective on it. When you uh, approach an EDH player 
about PDH or they ask you about PDH or, you know, I see this all the time on Twitter. Like, I don't understand. Like, I forget what the, 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 the first tweet I saw was, but it was like, I don't understand how PDH is a legitimate format when you can mm. use any uncommon creature. That just seems like it's too much. Like, how is that <laughs> format not broken? Like, what do you, how do you, how, what do you say to an EDH player where you're like, yeah, you can build a deck with any of these 4,000 creatures, you know? It's yeah. Not, so it, it depends on, on their questions kind of and granted, phrase it many if they're just of those like, are you know, unplayable but yeah if they ask like oh well how why do you need why can you use any uncommon creature you know why don't you just use legendaries like then you just explain the history of the format and it's a great right. story to tell and it, mm-hmm. it adds a bit of mystique and lore to the format so that it helps draw people in sometimes um but really the conversations that i've had with people with edh players um, because I do play Commander every week at, at my LGS with Commander players. There's no PDH at the, at sure. the, at the LGS mm-hmm. at the time. Although in the Discord for this LGS, people have been organically talking about PDH, which I've inserted myself into. Um, nice. nice. Kind of as uh, the ranger known as Strider, not Aragorn, you know, son of the <laughs> king, if that makes sense. Uh, but in any case, when I have these conversations, I, I talk about the card pool first and foremost. Uh, I think it's that's the biggest part of the learning curve to getting into the format is understanding how the card pool is different. And I think that you don't want people to like, you don't want to hype people up for it and say, Oh, there's all these cool commanders. You know, there's all these cool things you can do. And then they look at the card pool and it's a bunch of disappointing things to them because they were promised the world. And now they just have like, you know, 10 right. fight spells that all to them do the same thing. And right. you know, it's just boring that way. You You have to contextualize it because if you don't, um, a lot can fall through the cracks in terms of what what subtle what how the subtleties make it that much more enriching and that much more textured. I mean that that's really the, the selling point for me is those textures, the ways that those fight spells are different, really lets you make a deck unique in in, in a weird sort of way. Like when I look at Popper Commander deck lists and I see which counter spells they run versus which counter spells they don't run, that tells me a lot about what that player is trying to do with that deck and and you and like a lot of differences between the same commander from deck list to deck list are going to fall to those differences i think and, and that's how you can really make something your own and, and kind of tailor your experience so uh, that's kind of a long way of saying that i i think the best, most important thing is to understand how the card pool is different from commander and and what that adds to the format i think in in those restrictions perfect well thank you i know that was kind yeah. of an Im- impromptu question but i think it's an important one though i'm, I'm glad you asked it yeah, it is. And I've seen them get not necessarily overwhelmed, but at least they pretend to be overwhelmed by the sheer amount yeah. of, of creatures that we can use at Uncommon. Yeah, I never give people like suggestions about like, you should play this commander, you should do this, you should do that. Sure. I'll just yep. explain to them like, these are the parameters that we operate within. This is why it's cool. And then they'll explore it or they won't explore it. But if they do, they'll, they'll explore it on their own terms. And I think that's more valuable. So what do you think is a useful or productive question from a PDH player to an EDH player who is curious about the format. Oh goodness. You know what I'm um, saying? Like it's hard to say, well, what decks do you like to play? Cause then they just give you like stuff that we legit don't have or specific commanders that, like I said earlier, then you kind of have to do your research and figure out what decks that commander goes into and what that deck's trying to do and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think when you're going from PDH to EDH and not the other way around, it becomes a lot more important kind of what colors you like to play because though what you like about those colors can be more fully realized. Right. Um, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, 
I haven't had a lot of these conversations. I don't think of any of these conversations, but just kind of like opining on it in the moment. I think that's where I, that, that's where I want to focus is like what colors you like, because granted, like there's, there's weird things about color pie, this, that, the other, like you could argue yeah. it to the cows come home. But like I said, you know, if you like what, you know, mischievous cat guys does, well, boy, howdy, do I have a million creatures do that I have some do this, but you. in way cooler <laughs> ways, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, there's ways to expound upon all of these things in, in, in very full holistic manner. So I think kind of getting idea of what colors they like to operate in, in PDH or, or, you know, how competitive they like to be, um, just kind of get an idea of how they like to play, I think is always the best first step. It's just a matter of like how you contextualize that. Um, and with, with, with PDH to EDH, I, I think that, um, you know, finding out, finding where you have the opportunities to build out their experience is important. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and I know too, we don't have to, it, this is something we've also talked about on the show, so we don't have to go super deep into it, but you know, going from EDH to PDH, it's the gap between the two formats isn't as big as a lot of people seem to think it is. I agree. Like it's very possible to take a PDH deck to an EDH table and Put up a really good fight, you know, to to put up a good game, to use a powerful legendary uncommon and be on par with the rest of the table. I know Liam does this more often. I, I think in my head he does it like every day. Uh, so he probably doesn't do it as often as I think he does. Once a week. But I know he's got some some good experience with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do that like, you know, once a week or once every other week whenever I go to uh, FNM. I, you know, I the, the majority of my area is commander or modern uh so whenever mm-hmm. i'm playing commander with people uh i often you know break out my my ruxa my twins deck but uh sometimes i break out the pauper deck and take a pod down and infuriate all the players when they learn that it was my pauper deck <laughs> yeah it's it's really fascinating like because when you when you break it down you know for a game if you're playing like your proper deck at, a, at an edh table it really just comes down to like what axis you're interacting on right like if you have a popper deck that is going to win by infinite combo like an infinite combo is an infinite combo no matter what rarity of cards you're playing with yeah exactly so you know those things translate very what well. changes is the number of cards required turns out when your infinite combo is all exactly. commons it requires right. six pieces <laughs> <laughs> not all yeah, of which yeah, not very all of which have alternatives of, of consequences yeah yeah exactly no i think that's fascinating yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's it's great stuff i you know I, I i jokingly tweeted about this some time ago but like i i feel very strongly about like crafting these play experience like finding ways to do the things you want to do and, and i know there's so many people have such a hard time you see posts all the time on reddit twitter or whatever what have you and and people just you know despondent that they just took you know their 10th deck apart because you know this one was yet yet another failure that they didn't like playing this you know and there needs to be somebody who's just willing to be like their 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 commander life coach you know just like sit down (laughs) and just like walk through everything with with these people and just like help craft (laughs) these experiences i think it's so i think it's such i don't know if, if if i wasn't able to do this for myself I mean, maybe I might not feel so strongly about it, but like if I can do it with all the weird things I like to do in this format, like other people can do it too. And I, I, I feel so strong about helping them reach that goal. Sure. I think it's definitely a, a level to aspire to. You know, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's really enriched my experience both in, in Commander and, and PDH. And, and I, I think that one of the biggest 
benefits that I have is just being so deeply entrenched in Commander and PDH at the same time. Like you learn so much from each of them, and particularly from a, like a rules committee perspective, like seeing how they're run and um, like pulling things from from both places and applying them to the other. Like it, it just it really kind of was a, a light bulb over the head moment for me. No, I think that's really cool that you you're in both of those formats at the same time. You know, you can see them both. You can sort of translate one from the next. You know, different strategies, different cards, different deck building techniques, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know yeah. what I would do if I was suddenly an EDH player. Like, <laughs> it's it's such a daunting place to get into. Like, I mean, I can't, I don't want to put myself in your shoes. It's just, it's just, you know, you just kind of have to explore it at your own pace is really sure. what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and I think the same thing is true for PDH. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people think that PDH is just underpowered EDH, which I guess to a certain extent, it just has to be true based on the No, but the if you look at it on that axis, cards, it certainly but, is, but, but, it's, but it's fundamentally different. So Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a completely different type of game. You know, outside of like the rule set and the amount of cards you use, those are the same and that's about it. It's like calling EDH an underpowered Canadian Highlander. Like, sure. But yeah, there there are some fundamental differences here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, I don't know. It's it's such a huge place that still has so much exploration to be had. You know, even in the push for optimization in Commander, at least you know there's still so much stuff that just doesn't get explored because the the nature of content creation, you know, pushes people in directions. And I, I I listen to podcasts, I watch videos, and the way that like people do previews for cards, like. They'll they'll look at a, a an uncommon commander or a commander or rare creature whatever legendary creature and they'll say this card is not good enough to be your commander. Let's talk about it in the ninety nine. It's like well you're doing everybody a disservice by approaching it that way. And I, I think you know yeah because it's not big and splashy and mm-hmm. you can't look at things in terms of like you know you can't just make a judgment about this card is not good enough to be your commander because it's good enough to do something in the command zone. We just don't know what that is. Yeah, that, that I'm glad you brought that kind of back full circle to what you were talking about earlier is i think i feel like pdh is or popper commander is more of a puzzle if that makes sense like mm-hmm. less about winning the game less about putting this perfect hundred cards together and more about did you figure out the puzzle because like you said earlier it's not just the puzzle of the the uncommon creature that you're trying to unlock as your commander it's not just the puzzle of filling out the 99s around them from the thousands of cards at, at, at our in our card pool, but it's also the puzzle of the opponents at the table and their decks, if that makes sense. You know, it's mm-hmm. multiple puzzles at a time, and I'm sure EDH is like that on certain levels, but it's just, it's... I've never been good at puzzles. <laughs> I don't do a lot of puzzles. I don't sit around and do jigsaw puzzles and cross puzzles. That's a friend's report, man. But... I'm happy to sit down with you. And yeah, absolutely. But no, I find that a fascinating like um, perspective on, on the game because I, I had never thought about it like that. And I'm glad that we brought you on for this episode to, to talk about it because I did learn some things, some things that I've kind of assumed, but I had to hear them put into a more logical frame <laughs> of frame of reference, if you will. So, yeah. I'm always stoked to talk shop about magic. I, I I love it to death. And and these two formats, Popper EDH and, and EDH, I you know, I have changed my life in a lot of ways. So I, I'm always up for talking about it to, to the greatest length I possibly can, as evidenced by the runtime of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. So yeah, we'll definitely have to get together again. I think we were talking about that a little bit in the pre show. 
And it's always good to have you on the streams too. Always kicking my butt with your with your cat ghosts. <laughs> Thanks very much. It's, you know, it's 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 always a pleasure to play with you guys. I I, I do really enjoy it. And, and like I said, I think during the pre-show is that that cat geist um, was. It's one of the more fun decks I've ever lost to. I, I don't know what it is about <laughs> sure. it. It's just very like bubbly and bouncy and efficient and effective and powerful all at the same time. It's really cool. Yeah, it, it, it's just a blast to play, well, you know, for, the, for that exact reason. Like, it just kind of attacks here, attacks there, and then pumps up its creatures with... Uh, it, it makes, uh, you know, your creature a base 5-5 five, five instead of a 1-1, one, one, and, and then all of a sudden you're an attack away from being dead. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of swingy, but, you know, focused gameplay that I like. Yeah, it really is. Like, it it has this 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 arc. Like, in the early turns, you're like, yeah, chip damage. Here's one. Here's two. Draw a card. This and that. And then later in the game, it's like, okay, here's three unblockable four fours. Or, you know, like, yeah. where did those come from all of a sudden? Yeah, exactly. That's what I love about it. So giving you kudos on the deck. It's very Thanks. good. Very good. <laughs> I appreciate it. It means a lot. I think we are all out of questions and interruptions. So I think we'll move on to the outro. Unless Dave and Liam, did you have anything else you wanted to chime in with? Just that I'm mad that I've never gotten to play against this cat guy's deck. <laughs> One Sounds day. dope. Yeah. Someday. Soon. I, we should do my, that soon. My, my period of being absurdly busy with all kinds of weird life things is coming to an end. So I will be able to join Brad on his uh, streams pretty shortly heck yeah we'll do it you'll get cat geisted now is that a is that a deck you're constantly working on or are you pretty much finished with it moving on to the next thing or no i i just made my swap my brother's war swaps uh you know i I always kind of i I always tinker with my decks i'm I'm a big uh, tinker so yeah you know if i have any bright ideas i'll I'll make some swaps but uh yeah no it's it's a work in progress just like everything okay groovy groovy Well, I think we're just going to touch on a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. But, you know, in the meantime, if you need any more uh, Popper Commander talk, have any questions about the format, anything like that, uh, you can just email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That'll take you right to their Discord server. You can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. You can find Dave as Alcadron just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. All these links will be down in the in the show notes. I'll put those two decks that Derek talked about too. I'll put those in the show notes as well. And then, uh, Derek, where can all the listeners find you if they're looking for some deck help? So I am on the uh, TryHard server and the PDH uh, home base server under the uh, username Derek, all lowercase. As an average human, I don't like uh, the pomp <laughs> and circumstance associated with capital letters. It's all lowercase. Very humble. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter uh, at at sign um, Derek Deer Reader, all one word. Um, there's a link to my Mox field on there, as well as a, a, a WordPress weblog that I, I write about Commander sometimes. I've never run a PDH on it, but uh, you can see kind of my deck building process and the way that I approach the format there. Beautiful. Um, and also tweets about cards uh, that I'm into at any given <laughs> moment or um, tweeting well wishes at... Uh, right people things like that basic twitter things basic twitter things well yeah it's a good account to follow so you've always got really good uh popper commander insights i love it thank you all right as episode 24 of the pdh pod comes to a close we'd like to give a big thanks to mtg brad for letting us use their original music for the show and from everyone in here to everyone out there brew a deck make the move to pdh and we'll see you in about a week peace cheers goodbye everybody I brought proper decks to the party 